Hello, it's 24th of June 2018 and this is episode 70 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, it's actually been a little while since we were here. And by here, of course, I mean recording the podcast from our respective locations <laughs> across thousands of miles. Um, and that's because lots of life things have been happening. So, there hasn't been a huge amount of Star Wars in my life recently. Obviously, there's been endless Star Wars drama on the internet. Oh, God, because when always. isn't there Star Wars drama? <laughs> but in terms of real life interaction with Star Wars, not much. Yeah, we've both read Most Wanted, which is the Kira and Han prequel to Solo. Um, mm-hmm. Although it already feels like a long time ago when I finished that, because it has been a few yes. weeks. So hopefully when we discuss that later, we can remember <laughs> things to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, other than that, it has been kind of low on the fresh content, aside from the rumour mill ticking over for Nine and spin-offs and all that. Um, so I've been reading a lot of fanfic, to be honest. Nice. Yeah. I was able to swipe a whole bunch of Sabak cards Ooh. that we used to promote solo cool. in cinemas here in the UK. So rest assured that you will, you will be getting at least one full set, Kirsten. Oh, thank you. When I see you. You're welcome. <laughs> no worries. I also plan on bringing the others with me to celebration and just giving them out to whoever's interested. Nice. Because, yeah, like they just seem to be sitting there and no one else seemed to want them. So I was like, I ain't going to give you a home. Oh. Like, yeah. preferably lots of homes, because <laughs> I don't need, like, 20 of each for <laughs> If we can work out how to play it, we can play it as we're in line for the panels at Celebration. Oh my god, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> I guess it's like a made-up game. I'm sure there are versions with rules, but you could kind of wing it and do what you wanted. Uh-huh. Yeah, we can just make we up m- our own version. <laughs> yeah, we might need to customise some of the cards, though. Just having four variations might be a little bit limited. Maybe. <laughs> We could give like Kira a moustache and like give hands like special hat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All kinds of variants are on the horizon. So very cool. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is already taking a strange turn. <laughs> um, right. So then to actually try and anchor us in some kind of normality, I'm going to go into the news and we're going to talk about a complicated and confusing saga that originated with a report from Collider. And I won't read the whole thing. I'm just going to read some choice excerpts. So this report was from Steve Weintraub, I believe, who's like the head editor there. So the report. It may be a while before we see any more movies like Solo, a Star Wars story out of Lucasfilm. Sources with knowledge of the situation tell Collider that Lucasfilm has decided to put plans for more a Star Wars story spin-off movies on hold, instead opting to focus their attention on Star Wars Episode Nine and what the next trilogy of Star Wars films will be after that film. Sources tell us that the previously rumoured Obi-Wan movie was in active development, but those who were working on the film are no longer involved. It was recently reported that Logan filmmaker James Mangold was in early talks to write and direct the Boba Fett film, but that was before Solo's release. Regardless, we're hearing that plans to revisit this Star Wars story format have been put on hold for the moment. Initially announced as anthology movies, the spin-offs got off to a rocky start and haven't exactly been smooth sailing. Josh Trank was developing a Boba Fett movie around the same time Gareth Edwards was prepping Rogue One, but Trank was subsequently removed from the project and Lucasfilm lost a film off its planned slate. Then story issues led to extensive reshoots on Rogue One that reworked the third act, with Tony Gilroy overseeing the new scenes. 
And then, of course, Solo saw directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller fired during production, with Ron Howard coming in to replace them and reshoot a number of scenes. In addition to episode 9, Lucasfilm has officially announced developments on a new Star Wars trilogy focused on new characters from The Last Jedi writer-director Ryan Johnson, as well as a new series of films written by Game of Thrones showrunners David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. These projects continue to be in development and are not part of the pause spin-offs we're hearing about. But Lucasfilm's main focus at the moment is planning the next trilogy after the Abrams-directed Star Wars 9, which is expected to conclude the story of Rey that began with The Force Awakens. As with everything in Hollywood, it's always possible that some filmmaker could come in and pitch an idea for a Star Wars story spin-off that makes Lucasfilm rethink its approach, or opt to greenlight that idea as a one-off. But as of right now, we're hearing the studio's focus has moved away from these spin-offs for the time being, and is squarely intent on getting episode 9 to the finish line and figuring out what the next trilogy of films will be. So, Kirsty, what was your initial response to this news? Um, well, I was just like, as long as we're getting more movies from Ryan, I don't mind. I'm, I mean, mm. because uh, with a lot of the spin-offs, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like it could be cool, but I don't know enough about it yet because there aren't any official details. We haven't even had any of these films officially confirmed and announced so it's kind of weird to get reports now saying oh actually we don't think they're coming because it wasn't even said that they were coming officially so it's yeah. hard to know where you stand and like hard to know how much to care so I'm just like I'm happy with whatever they choose to give us like it's beyond my control so I really wanted the Ryan movie and I was excited about that and if that's still in production then great yeah exactly that's approximately how I feel in that the future project that I'm most interested in is whatever Ryan does next, because obviously I love The Last Jedi so much. Um, so that's immediately where my focus lies. Um, of course, I would have gone to see like an Obi-Wan movie or a Boba Fett movie if those had been made. But they're not really films I've been pining for. or And I definitely haven't been crying out for them. I know lots of fans have. So I kind of feel for those people. So I know especially people really, really wanted that Obi-Wan movie mm. because people really love that character and are very attached to Ewan's performance as him. Um, but that's not my opinion on that matter, basically. Um, so, I don't know. I guess I just kind of find myself thinking about Solo and I enjoyed Solo and I found a lot to appreciate and like in Solo as we both made clear, I think, in our review episode. But it's been like three or four weeks and it's just not very present in my mind anymore you know I think about The Last Jedi much much more than I think about Solo. Oh yeah still like that's still where my fandom interest lies and thinking about episode 9 and not like obsessing over what the story is going to be for 9 I'm just excited for it and I'm anticipating it a lot more than I did Solo Um, and I think even as I'm enjoying the spin-offs and I enjoyed Solo a lot and I've talked about how much I liked it um, even as I recognise that it's not perfect, and we've talked about why we don't think that too, but like, it's just making me realise over time that my heart really does lie with the Skywalker saga. Um, yes. But at the same time, I'm not so attached to it that I can't enjoy the rest of Star Wars and whatever they have to offer. Like, I know that Ryan's trilogy, they've said many times that it's going into new territory with new characters, and I'm excited to see what that is. The Benioff and Weiss one, I don't know anything about it yet, so it's hard to get attached, but I'm still intrigued to find out more. Um, yes. So I, I just don't know where they're going to go. And obviously, since this report came out, I'm sure everyone who listens to us is already aware there's another report that came out, I think maybe the next day, 
um, from ABC that's like, oh, slow down, that might not actually be true. So it's yeah. hard to know what to think at this point. There's so many rumours out there, there's so much conflicting um, ideas, and it seems to really incite this discussion in the fandom, which is maybe what it's all about at the end of the day, um, because people want different things. And I think the more you see this kind of thing discussed in the fandom, the more you realise there is not a unified voice crying out for certain things, which is what some people seem to think. Like, this is what the fan base wants, this is what the hardcore fans want. Star Wars fans are all individuals and they all want different things, and we're just going to get whatever they decide to give us. So Yeah, exactly. I I think the worst thing they can do is make a film for the fans. Mm. Because... In many ways, it's kind of what Solo was, you know? Solo was extremely nostalgic. It was all about, like, nods and winks to things that people are already familiar with. Yeah. Including some real, like, deep-cut moments, like, in terms of references to the old EU books and stuff. And that's, like, all about pandering to the fans who are obsessive about Star Wars, know all the tiniest minutiae and have read all those books. And I'm sure that's lovely for those people and great for them. But I think Solo has shown that it's not really the kind of story or the kind of approach that has mainstream appeal or really generates like huge audiences to come in their droves and see it, Mm. you know? Yeah. I've seen a lot of people say that they think that Solo would have worked better as a tie-in novel or as like a mini series on the streaming service that we're going to get soon. But because the story's smaller, it doesn't feel so epic like the the trilogy movies or even Rogue One. Um, Yeah that it just didn't feel like there were enough stakes to justify it being a movie, or what we understand the Star Wars movie to be, and that it is this big, grand, operatic thing. Um, Solo definitely wasn't that. And I'm all for them trying different things. Like, obviously, they're going to have to experiment to an extent with what Star Wars can be, just like they've done with Marvel. Um, But not everything is going to be this huge box office success. So it's okay to try it, and then step back and reevaluate. And that seems to be what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. So I almost found reading Most Wanted that I felt like that book had higher stakes than the movie itself did. Mm. And I know that might sound really strange, but I don't know, I just felt like the urgency of things in that book more. And I felt like Han and Kira and their friend were in genuine danger. Yeah, their situation was so desperate. Yeah, Exactly. So I'd almost have preferred a movie of that. Well, you, I mean, to an extent, it's like it's a prequel of a prequel. So we know they're going to be okay. Um, yeah. Because course. they're pretty much like at the beginning of Solo. I know we're jumping ahead to our discussion with Most Wanted now, but it's like that this book kind of lines up with how you see them at the beginning of that movie. Um, yes. But it's cool to see how they get to that point because it's clear that Han and Kira weren't always close and have kind of both had this issue with trusting other people um yeah so yeah i do see what you mean that there were almost higher stakes there because they had nothing like the yeah such an extreme level of poverty um yeah. whereas in solo <clears throat> yes kira is like trapped in this horrible situation but she's able to navigate it to an extent as you see by the end of the movie and yeah han he he I don't know. He has like this full story full of opportunity and like it has this real feeling of hope about it and then he comes out of it and it's like he gets his heart broken but he's okay. So. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know, I guess I just never really felt they were in peril. Mm. Like there were obviously like tense moments, there's scenes where they're confronting enemies and stuff. 
But I think in Most Wanted you really get that sustained threat because they're being tracked down in that novel. And there's always people who are on the lookout for them and who might like betray them at any moment. And also because it's a story set in a single time frame instead of jumping through time like Solo does. Yeah. So. Anyway, we should stop talking about Most Wanted because yes, <laughs> that's not really what we're talking about right now. But it ties in because, like you say, um, I think there has been this common criticism with Solo that it just doesn't feel quite big enough to have justified a movie. And that was something that people were concerned about before the movie came, even came out. They were like, do we need this? And of yeah. course, we never needed it. It's a movie. But um, in terms of looking at like how it, it just hasn't reached the heights of things like The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens and Rogue One, um, yeah. you, you got to wonder why. So uh, I think the marketing is obviously a big factor too. Yeah. I really do think that something like Solo would have made a much more natural fit for, say, this new streaming service mm. that they have coming up in terms of like stakes and the nature of the story. I think it would have been a really big hit and been very well received on, in that format. Of course, that wasn't going to happen because they invested so much money in Solo, probably like north of $250 million, that they really needed to get in cinemas to look at recouping like that investment. Right. You know, but if they could do stories like Solo that are scaled back in terms of the cost, then I think the streaming service would be a good home for them going forward. So I really don't think that this news means that the Star Wars story films, the anthology films, whatever you want to call them, I don't think this means they're completely dead forevermore. I just think it means that if we do get them again, they're going to be approached very differently. And I think they're certainly going to be scaled down. Yeah, they can reconfigure them into more like, you know, like an HBO miniseries. You can have a story that tracks Boba Fett and a team of bounty hunters or something like that that doesn't need to be this huge cinematic event. But if people are interested in that story, they can go and watch it. Yeah. And if you think about James Mangold, who's been connected to the Boba Fett film, he obviously made Logan. And Logan did not cost a great deal of money, like in terms, in comparison to other superhero movies. And yeah, I think given a restrained budget, some of these creators, the best creators, they can sometimes do their best work within those limitations, because then they can really like drill down to what matters, which is good characters, good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, we haven't even read out the ABC report yet, so we probably should do that. But it's basically like. I don't believe that any of these projects are just being scrapped because there's still so no. much stuff there that they've worked on that will be of value, but just maybe figuring out what's going to be the best way to move forward creatively and financially. Yeah, exactly. On the note of that ABC report, would you like to read it out? Sure. So I think this came out the next day um, from ABC. They said, reports of the death of future standalone films from that galaxy far, far away like Solo, Rogue One, and a rumoured but never announced Obi-Wan Kenobi project appear to be premature and speculative at best. Lucasfilm sources on Thursday characterised as inaccurate a report that future Star Wars movies falling outside of the irregular trilogy storyline, episodes 1 to 9, have been put on hold in the wake of the box office underperformance of Solo, a Star Wars story. Instead, Lucasfilm told ABC News that there are still multiple Star Wars films currently in development that have not been officially announced. Those projects are moving forward separate from an already announced Star Wars trilogy being overseen by The Last Jedi director, Ryan Johnson, and another series of movies from Game of Thrones producers, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. So they're saying that even aside from those trilogy movies, we are still working on the, the other projects. 
that we haven't yeah. told you what they are yet. So you're all assuming that they're Obi-Wan Kenobi and Boba Fett. But yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I think it's important to preface anything I say about this ABC thing with the fact that, like, ABC is basically like the propaganda machine for Disney because Disney owns ABC. So I have absolutely no doubt that ABC spoke to Disney. In fact, I'd say this is almost more akin to a press release. This is as close as Disney will get to a press release about this, essentially, because this is coming through their official news outlet. Mm -hmm. So this is basically what Disney wants us to know about this situation so i absolutely think this report represents damage control to a certain extent because obviously lots of people were upset lots of people were like oh star wars is doomed and it was all very like doom and gloom in relation to this news which again i understand a lot of people were really excited for some of these projects especially obi-wan and i think disney was like crap we need to like reassure people that there's still a plan that we're still working on things but they're doing it in a very calculated way, as you observed, Kirsty. So they're not indicating exactly which projects are in development because they're clearly not prepared to reveal that at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just want to make it clear that there's still lots of stuff going on. It's not like everything's just been shut down and there's going to be no progress. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen people say, well, because th- this is Disney, we shouldn't trust it. And it's like, don't you think that's the reason we should trust it? Like, why would they lie? they're not going to say there are projects in development if they're not yeah they would have just ignored it (laughs) yeah like I think to me this says that Disney is going to be much more circumspect about when they announce things so I'm sure no one is more aware than Lucasfilm of the fact that they have lost lots of directors and there's been all this behind the scenes drama etc etc like they are going to be fully aware of that and I think they are just going to take it much more slowly now and they're going to make so sure they are really happy with and really confident in the projects that they have before they announce things and make them official going forward because they don't want another repeat of the solo situation or the Rogue One situation, especially now that we've seen that all that bad buzz can really like throw the water on the proverbial fire mm-hmm. as it did with Solo. Yeah, I think it was less of an issue with Colin Trevorrow because he moved away from the project before they even went into the filming period, right? So Yes. So that's okay. But yeah. I, I agree with you. I think they're just being careful because if you announce something and then take it away, it just you know, it doesn't inspire much confidence. Um Yeah. Because I think it was last summer Kathleen Kennedy said, Oh, we're gonna decide and announce what the the next things will be and they've announced things like the John Favreau series this new animated series and um Benny and Wise since then we just don't have details so yeah exactly we know there's lots of stuff cooking basically which mm-hmm. is good um and yeah just yeah another twist in the tale <laughs> as there is after this ABC like denial came out um, Steve Weintraub, who was the author of the original Collider report, he came out basically just to stand by his original report and s- insist that it was accurate. So I think he is just basically alluding to the fact that as far as he's concerned, the ABC story is just damage control and that he does have it right and that ABC are just trying to save face for the parent company. And it's impossible for us to know anything. Well, yeah, and basically. I don't think that he... I don't think he was lying in his report and I'm sure the people he oh, spoke no. to did say what they said to him. It's just yes. they're big companies and sometimes the people you're speaking to don't necessarily know everything that's going on. 
They'll know what yeah. they're working on, but can't yeah. speak to everything else. And things change. Yeah. So, And I think it's also all about terminology. And I, I think that the brakes have very much been put on things. But that's not the same as saying that they're just not happening at all. Mm. So I think that the brakes have very much been put on the Obi-Wan movies. We had heard that that was going to be shooting next year. So they would have to be in some relatively advanced state of pre-production, which, again, is something I'm pretty sure we did here from fan for tracks or something like that. Um, but, yeah, it's clear that that's not happening anymore. But that doesn't mean that it's not happening at all. And, yeah, so I think it's just people, like, standing by things but being quite rigid about it, you know? So it's like, oh, no, that's wrong, rather than well, that's right from a certain point of view, but I'm also right from a certain point of view, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know? And, yeah, I'm not too invested in who's right and wrong and could it be potentially embarrassing for some people. I saw a lot of people posting, like, cryptic gifts on Twitter, like, oh, I know what's coming. Ooh, it's like, good for you. I'm... Whatever. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for whipping the fandom into a panic. <laughs> It kind of turns into a pissing contest. Yeah, it is. It's like, oh, I have the inside info, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. So <laughs> thanks. Maybe just don't bother then. Like, Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of lording so, it over people. Sorry, I sound so bitter. Um. Yeah. Well, I, I, do, I don't know. I guess it just gets a bit silly. It feels like every single outlook has their own hot take on yeah. the story. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a bit like, I can't read these anymore. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, I will just... Going forward, I will just listen to what StarWars.com announces. Like, if they announce something, that means they're ready for us to know about it and they're going to give us a vague release date, maybe, or or an idea of the premise. And I will trust that because they're saying it. Um, yeah. But I can't read any more stuff from, like... Oh, I, don't, I won't mention any websites because it's not, like, one specifically. It's just this... The fandom machine that just generates so much drama and panic and there's no real need, like... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so exactly. yeah, we've got episode nine coming next Christmas, and then we know that the Ryan trilogy. I've, I've seen like dates potentially floating around at like twenty twenty one, the first movie. Mm. But again, they're just rumors. So maybe there'll be a year where we don't get one. Um, yeah, and that's okay because we're still going to have like the TV shows and books and everything. So maybe it's good to yeah. have a break again. I think a year break would be very good, actually, because. I definitely think Star Wars is one of those franchises that benefits from kind of having a what's the word I'm looking for like a decompression period I guess <laughs> because everything reaches like a boiling point the boiling point being when the movie's released and then you kind of need a long period of time to let out all the hot air yeah <laughs> and I we definitely didn't have that between the last jedi and solo for example no because it event like immediately after solo came out people you know gave their first thoughts and whether they liked the movie or not but the ongoing drama in the fandom has still been related to the last jedi yeah exactly. like solo didn't really rock the boat and that's part no. of the problem almost but it still went back to all this remake the last jedi <laughs> you're not a real <laughs> fan if you like that movie i mean i think that that twitter account is a parody i, I don't think the people behind that are serious no way 
because I don't know if you've seen, but they're like doing this thing where they post an image of shirtless Kylo and they're like, we're a hair away from a hundred million dollars. <laughs> the hundred million dollar level is that his nipple is like, there is no way this is serious. And people took this seriously. They're like really angry about this level of entitlement. And I'm like, I know that there are people out there who hate The Last Jedi and would love to see a remake. And I think that's what that account's making fun of. Surely, please. Yeah. They're like, well, maybe, Kirsty, that means that if they did remake The Last Jedi, they'd go all the way with Raylo. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a Pete Raylo. Like, I don't know how much to add, to be honest. <laughs> well, they, they could earn that R rating. So. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. My assessment of the situation is the people who want The Last Jedi remade are not massive fans of Raylo. No. Why would you say that, Kirsty? <laughs> that makes no sense. Guessing they are not a fan. <laughs> Who knows? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Ma- exactly. Yeah, maybe, maybe the people behind that are the shippers who are like, uh, we wanted a kiss, so can we remake the movie? Fandom works mysterious ways. Oh yes, exactly. Right. Okay, I think we can finally move on from that um, special, special episode in Star Wars fandom history. Uh, <laughs> right. And we can move on to a report from Fanfatrax. This is a very succinct report, so it will not take long to read out. Right, so this is... Oh, and actually, some people might consider this a spoiler for Episode 9. I really wouldn't. It relates to like casting and the return of a fan-favourite character. So if you really, really want to stay pure and know absolutely nothing, then please feel free to skip ahead, but... It's the kind of thing that would come out everywhere anyway if it were to happen. It would be officially announced, I think. So, yeah, consider yourself warned. So, the report. Billy D. Williams is back for episode 9 as Orlando Calrissian. We were asked by our original source to verify this with another independent source before we ran with it. We did that, confirming that this is indeed correct. And before anyone asks, we're not going to name our sources because that's not how this works. Filming on episode 9 starts next month. So expect to see official confirmation of this exciting cast in very soon. I like this report. This is very simple and to the point. No bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I am going to wait for official confirmation. Thank you, Fanfatrax. <laughs> As I said, I'm sage, waiting. Sage advice. For official confirmation from StarWars.com. I will settle for nothing less. <laughs> I'm excited about the idea of Lando being in it. If it's true, great. But like they say in the report, it's not long now before we'll get that information anyway. So I'm excited to see if that's true. And I'm also interested to see what they're going to do about Leia. Um, yes. And yeah, whether our favourites will be back. Like it's been in the back of my mind. I'm like, I'm a little bit worried. Like, please tell me that Rose is going to be in the movie, please. Um, yeah. Or uh, maybe even if they announce it, it won't necessarily tell us like how major the characters will be in terms of their screen time and effect on the plot but yeah I'm interested to see if certain people are going to be back like Billy Lord I really liked seeing her too so yeah I'm really sure they'll bring Billy back I'd be shocked if they didn't Mm. um but yeah no like taking this at its word and to be fair to fan for tracks I do think they've had some legitimate scoops in the past they were correct about code names for example I think they had Black Diamond and Trixie which are the code names for episode nine? Um, successive code names. Well, have they been confirmed elsewhere though? Um, 
I'm pretty sure Black Diamond was. Really? Don't ask me where. Please don't ask me where, Kirsty. Well, <laughs> this might be like a dream. I mean, those kind of things, they're not confirmed officially, are they? Oh, no, no, no. I don't mean in terms of official confirmation. I guess I just mean in terms of corroboration. Oh, right. Of okay. Fan sources. Right. Yeah. No, no. They, there's no such thing as a press release about a working title for a movie project. No, but at the same okay. time, I guess Panda, like they have like the logo on stuff and the Space Bear thing. Yeah, no, exactly. So they have some kind of track record. They're not just pulling things out of their arse, basically. Um, but yeah, so taking this at his word, I would certainly be very happy to see Lando return. Um, I really like Billy D, and there's been pictures of him recently at events, like cons and stuff, and he's looking really pretty good. Oh yeah, he looks so great think... at the solo premiere as well. Yeah, I think he's 81 now, mm-hmm. but he looks fantastic. And he's still so very recognisable as Lando. Yeah. You know, you just know that seeing him on screen again would give the warm fuzzies. Yeah. And I definitely think that episode nine would benefit from that because besides the inevitable Force Ghost Luke, there is going to be like a relative dearth of like nostalgic elements and characters from the original trilogy. Obviously, that doesn't really matter to you and me. So we're mainly in the game for the new characters and where it's going to go going forward. But I know lots of people will be made really happy by the return of someone like Lando. So I hope it's true. Yeah, and I think it's nice timing after people loved Donald Glover's performance as Lando. Yeah, so He's in people's minds. People love Lando. Um, and it wouldn't have to be a huge part because I know there are big concerns about his health in recent years. But even if he was in it just for a few minutes, I think that would make an impact. Yeah, exactly. It could just be a memorable cameo basically like he doesn't necessarily need to be a huge supporting player or anything so i don't for a minute think it would be anything like a han solo sized supporting character role you know just because of billy d's health if nothing else Mm. but yeah like i think he will hopefully appear um do you would you like to see interaction between lando and ben solo uh i'm not sure actually in some mm. ways, I like the idea because of what they've kind of set out in the books from Baby Ben. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if the general audience would quite understand that or be invested in it. You know, yeah. there's not been any mention of Lando so far in the trilogy. So it's not like, oh, we're really invested in seeing Ben Solo redeemed so that he can hang out with Uncle Lando. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, yeah. if they decided to go that way, it would feel natural and not awkward, but it could be awkward. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. So, no, no, that's very true. I'm not invested in um, the idea, to be honest. Yeah. I, I guess you're right. It would be kind of a hard sell because, yeah, we know from the tie-in books that there was a relationship there, but that has never even been touched upon in the films. And so lots of people would just be confused if they yeah. try to make that like a big emotional aspect of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been no, no reference to Lando so far. So it's not even like you've got... Han talking about remembering Luke and and Leia and Lando, you know that that was the gang together. Um, yeah. For all the general audience knows, after the original trilogy, they never saw Lando again. You know what I mean? Like yeah. obviously we know that's not true, and he was important in their lives, and in Ben's. But I don't know how they would like bring that in seamlessly. Um, yeah. So if he's in it, I can see it more being related to like Ray, Poe, Rose. Thing, you know yeah yeah um, no i think the most realistic proposal for how he'd be involved is as is just as some kind of ally to the resistance right 
Like, and that's basically what you'd expect, to be honest, for Lando in the sequel trilogy. But I think that'd be fine. It would make sense and it would be natural. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would welcome that. Yeah. Um. Right, have we said all you want to say there? I think so. I mean, yeah, we'll find out soon. I, I can't imagine it's going to be much longer before we get a cast casting announcement because filming's going to happen, so. Exactly, and that's so exciting. Yeah, I know! <laughs> please bring it to us like oh and i wonder if there's going to be some kind of like little clip of announcing the beginning of filming like there was for the last jedi oh yeah that would be cool that'd be really cool and also a teaser by christmas this year please 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 please. because jj did that for the force awakens yeah but not beyond the realm of possibility was very different it's true, but I do also think there's a case to be made for them really needing to drum up that positive buzz and excitement early for episode 9 because of all the drama, drama, drama going on in the fandom. I think they're going to want to give people like something positive to look forward to. It would be nice to get something around Christmas time, actually, wouldn't it? Because we're not going to have a Star Wars movie. so Yeah, yeah, exactly. Throw the dog a bone, guys. What are the Disney movies that are coming out this Christmas? Is it, like, is it the new Mary Poppins and... It's Mary Poppins Returns. Okay. Okay, then the next story is that George Lucas delved further into the midichlorians in his original plans for the sequel trilogy. So basically, um, this came out in an interview between George Lucas and James Cameron, who interviewed George for a series called Space, um, which is from which is an episode of a series called James Cameron's Story of Science Fiction. And Basically, the interview appeared in transcript in a book to tie into the series. And I'm just going to read out some of the interview. George Lucas. The next three Star Wars films were going to get into a microbiotic world, but there's this world of creatures that operate differently than we do. I call them the wills. And the wills are the ones who actually control the universe. They feed off the force. James Cameron. You were creating a religion, George. George. Back in the day, I used to say ultimately what this means is we were just cars, vehicles for the wheels to travel around in. We're vessels for them. And the conduit is the midichlorians. The midichlorians are the ones that communicate with the wills. The wills, in a general sense, they are the force. James Cameron. But you're putting detail and a facade of science around an idea that's pretty timeless, which is the spirit, the soul, heaven, causation. But in your world building, you're going back to archetype which is spirit, the godhead, all that sort of thing. George Lucas, all the way back to, with the Force and the Jedi and everything, the whole concept of how things happen was laid out completely from the beginning to the end. But I never got to finish. I never got to tell people about it. So, yeah, this is interesting to me. What would you have made of a sequel trilogy that featured the Wills in a starring role, Kirsty? I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest. Like, when they first brought it out and it was just a bit about the microbiotic world I was like having a bit of a laugh just because it sounded so funny um but obviously it wouldn't be like that's the star of the show just the way that like the prequel trilogy isn't about midichlorians it would just be there as part of the law right so the actual story would presumably be about human relationships and the themes of star wars that george lucas has always spouse love forgiveness redemption family hope Mm. um so it's really hard to picture what it would have been like because this is all so vague and esoteric, but I don't know, it sounds intriguing and it's obviously something that he'd thought about from the beginning, like the wills were right there at the beginning of Star Wars before he even made the first movie. So 
clearly something that matters to him. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. And it is very George because it's wildly different and unexpected. Like, no one would anticipate a sequel trilogy with that kind of premise. Well, that's the thing. It's Um, hard to say whether it is the premise or if it's like this would have been part of it. I I mean, depending on the day you catch George in a conversation, it seems like he says things with a very different emphasis. Because before he said, well, what happened to Vader's grandchildren? So presumably that would have been like the actual story. And then this stuff would have been backdrop that played into the plot. You know what I mean? So um, it's hard to know where the emphasis would exactly be. Yeah, exactly. He does just say that it was going to get into that. It doesn't say that it was going to be all about this. So I certainly think that some of the reports about this story have like put the focus on the wrong things and formed potentially false assumptions about what's actually being said here, um, as is typical with the news cycle, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, it certainly sounds very unique and original, although I can't help but think that it reminds you of like an Inside Out style world where you'd kind of like zoom in to raise bloodstream and then you'd see like all the wills at work within. It's like, uh... I wonder if it would have felt more like a Greek myth, kind of like a Hercules thing, where you have the wills looking down on things in, like pulling the strings but then you have human characters you know like I mean we even get this with the level of like the cosmic force like and the fact that the the wills are what what he's saying like the wills kind of work through the force um yeah and the forces as they will um that is kind of what we're getting with the extra material like from the last Jedi novelization it's you know, Ray coming to this realization that the force is working through her, it's working through Kylo, and to an extent they kind of just have to step back and see where the force wills them to go. So yeah. it's interesting to think about like what's their choice and what's something bigger than them creating yeah. this destiny for them. So Yeah, no, that's a really cool idea. And I would potentially like that. Like if it did get into the idea of the idea of free will and like is actually a sinister thing that it's these creatures controlling people and making them do as they will you know the wills making people do as they will oh god (laughs) but yeah you know what i mean it's like what's like the value of a life when you don't really have control over your own movements because it's all decided by these higher beings that operate above you Mm -hmm. if it had really explored those those ideas that would have been really interesting Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it is this classic sci-fi fantasy way of exploring human nature right like how much is really in our control and how much is fate and the world influencing things from the outside yeah exactly so yeah the more i talk about it with you actually the more i think yeah that could have actually been really cool i mean this is all us working on like oh he maybe meant it this way or maybe yeah, he meant it another course. way like we'll never really know yeah and, and i'm not saying i want to trade what we have for this <laughs> absolutely not yeah but just thinking about what might have been it's an interesting thought experiment yeah and I, I just love hearing george like acknowledge yeah people hated what i did with the prequel obviously not everyone but yeah he's he just he doesn't care like he he tells stories he wants to tell and he's like oh it's a shame some people didn't like it but i'm gonna keep going <laughs> you know this is what i believe in so, yeah yeah he did say like everybody hated it in phantom menace when we started to talk about the nickelorians that's not true a lot of people love phantom menace but maybe from his perspective he got so much shit that he was like oh i guess everyone did hate it 
which yeah. makes me sad. It is really sad. George seems so, so demoralised by the whole experience. <laughs> Poor old Georgie. Um, the final thing we want to talk about is that the passes for Celebration in Chicago are selling like hotcakes. Um, there's no real article to read here. It is just a fact. I believe that all the five-day passes have gone and all the Saturday passes have gone. And I think the last I saw was something like 80% of the Thursday passes have gone. So that's crazy to me. <laughs> because I know in previous years you could still get like the like passes for the full event like a few months before. Because you did that for the last celebration, didn't you, Kirsty? Yeah, I think I decided in October that I was going to go. So mm. only like six months before it. Um, yeah, this is awesome. It People is awesome. want to go to celebration and celebrate Star Wars. Woohoo! <laughs> Shows that Star Wars certainly isn't dead. <laughs> I don't have an awful lot to add, to be honest. So yeah, the main reason I wanted to bring this up was just because I wanted to say that we are both going to celebration. So I don't think we've really talked about that on the podcast yet, and I'm just excited. So I just wanted to say it's a thing that's happening. Me too. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. It's going to cost me lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> so I need to get to Chicago from across the sea, but that's fine. And you only live once, guys. And I love Star Wars. And so I'm going to indulge my love of Star Wars in this way. Yeah, so I'm excited because cool. I've wanted to go to Chicago for a while. So I'm hoping that we also manage to see some things outside of the convention center. Yes, <laughs> we'll definitely. see how that goes. Because five days yeah. is a long time. It is, yeah. And as much as I love Star Wars... I kind of need some sort of like pre- pressure relief valve, you know, from like constant incessant Star Wars. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to do anything or expose myself too much in a way that would sour things for me. Yeah, I think there'll be probably one or two things that we want to see every day, but then we can also leave and go and do some touristy things and get brunch and hang out with exactly. people. So, yeah. Be good. No, it will certainly be fun. Uh, right. And then, now that we have acknowledged our impending attendance at Star Celebration, <laughs> I just wanted to talk a little bit about Most Wanted, which we obviously touched upon earlier, but we wanted to do like a little segment on our thoughts on it. So yeah, Kirsty, what are your overall thoughts on Most Wanted? Um, it gave me what I wanted when I started reading it, which is more of that Kira and Han goodness and feels. Um, yes because like we said earlier it kind of feeds into where you meet them at the beginning of solo and which is absolutely adorable because obviously like head over heels in love they're very optimistic about the future and how they're going to get out of Corellia and leave the white worms behind um so this story is kind of about how they become friends and more than that even though it never really gets to that point it's like they both start like each other but they're not sure how to feel about it and can I trust him and Noticing each other's smiles and how they light up the room. Very <laughs> sappy goodness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very sappy. And basically it's about their like proto-relationship. It's not really a spoiler to say that they don't really like get together, get together in the book. But they certainly spend lots of time together. And the book is very much about how they become closer and how they come to trust each other. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say it really adds a lot to the movie for me because it really made me buy into their dynamic. Yeah, and it's not just the two of them either. They have Sulo, who is their Rodian friend. So it's like the three of them um, working together. 
on this mission to kind of outsmart Lady Proxima. And um, the end result is that obviously um, Han and Kira both become like these head, well, Kira does technically, but because Han helps her, it's like it basically benefits them both. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's like that they learn to work together. They open up to each other and and that works out for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I liked also seeing like different sides of Corellia because obviously in the movie we only really see the grimy and industrial part and the underworld mm-hmm. whereas in the book you really get a sense of how there's this very like strict um stratification of all the different classes yeah and how above all the smog and the grime of the like lower class areas there's this like really beautiful palatial complex with like a shopping center and like high class restaurants and exclusive homes so just like london basically hmm. um <laughs> and yeah I found that so interesting um because often that's the kind of thing that the films don't have time for yeah uh, or, or at least they certainly don't have time to explore in a meaningful way whereas a book can really add that additional texture and give you a much more layered picture which I appreciated yeah and I loved how that played into Kira's character as well because she you know really loves beautiful things she loves fashion and she's kind of given this outfit from Lady Proxima to to borrow for this mission and of course it gets ruined like through the the work that she has to do she goes into the sewer and obviously it gets like really dirty and everything but there's this Mm. real like it adds this depth to the the bittersweetness of when you see her in the movie like in a beautiful gown on Voss's yacht that she's Mm -hmm. finally surrounded by all of this beauty and wealth but not in the way that she wanted because she's not free yeah she's effectively in prison there um but yeah, I loved just those little details of when she takes Han and Sulo to her, what did she call it? Like a halfway house? Um, she's like, I think her safe house. Safe house. Yeah. That it's like, she's got this secret that she's terrified of sharing because it could be taken away from her. And yeah. it kind of reminded me of, of Ray's home. Um, yeah. That there's so little there, but it means so much to her because it's all she has. Yeah. No, it's really, really poignant. And I definitely think of all the characters, Most Wanted gave the most depth to Kira for me. Yeah. And I really like that because as people remember from our review episode, I really liked Kira anyway. So getting all that extra insight into her in terms of her mindset and her background and what she values in life, that was all really fascinating to me. And yeah, it just reaffirms my conviction that I really want to see the story of Kira continued. Like, obviously, I know we're very unlikely to get that in a film for obvious financial reasons. But I think there's loads of room for them to do, like, a comic or novels, like, anything. And that's more than realistic, because there would certainly be a market for that. Yeah, we have to know what happens to Kira after Solo. <laughs> yeah. We have to know what happens with her going off to more. Um, yeah. And, yeah, they opened that up there to, like you say, like, whatever media form it ends up being explored in it's there um yeah yeah and i just love the way it set up their dynamic like the first time she sees him grin she wants to punch him in the face because he's so spark it's like uh just it makes me laugh how often star wars starts like these romantic relationships with that kind of oh wow i hate you when they first meet like it's uh just i want to hurt you you're making me angry but I also like you, and I can't quite admit it to myself. 
Yes, exactly. It's classic, um, classic romantic relationship fodder. There was um, another thing that I liked pretty early on with Kira thinking about how Han has like no strategy and he's all about instinctive reflexes. It kind of reminded me a lot of Ben Solo. Yes, so that's think, very true. I think that's where he gets it from. It's all about those passionate moments and acting in the moment, which yeah, you guys love so much. They really contrasted Han and Kira, and I think you see that in the film, but obviously it's emphasised in the book that she is very much about planning things out and only doing things when she's certain she's going to succeed, whereas he's yeah. just like completely flying by the seat of his pants and, well, if it works out, it does, and I don't want to think about it too much. Yeah, exactly. And I guess I also really love a story where it's two people who are really different mm-hmm. as individuals in terms of their approaches and their outlooks and their ways of coping with things. But despite that, they still really click and they just really complement each other well. And that's exactly what happened with Han and Kira. Mm-hmm. And I think the book showed that superbly, even better than the film, to be honest, because you kind of see just the like very last moments of that first bloom of love for them. And then the rest of it is almost like an epilogue to that youthful romance because it comes so much later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it kind of surprised me is that I didn't expect Sulo to play such a large part at first um, and that he was the character who kind of introduced Han to the concept of the Force mm. and that he wasn't, like, mean to him about it, that he was, he was almost, like, patronizing to Sulo and that he was like well if it's not true it's not so bad if you believe in it right because that's what you need to get you through the situation which I yeah. think Sulo got quite upset about like not offended or angry at Han but just like oh maybe it isn't true maybe I'm wrong um, yeah a bit demoralized maybe yeah because Han's like oh are you sure that's how the force works it's <laughs> like well no <laughs> I've just heard about it from other people it's like so such a mythological lost thing at this point where he's like he thinks that he's seen Jedi in the past and then they disappear mysteriously because obviously the Empire is in control now um and yeah I just like the fact that Han had heard these stories early on in life it wasn't like he was completely unfamiliar with the idea before he met Luke and Obi-Wan but yeah which seems very like accurate to me because you you get the impression that the Force permeates the galaxy so thoroughly as a belief system that it would be extraordinarily weird if he hadn't heard of it. Yeah, I think it strikes the right balance because I know a lot of people, when Maul was revealed in the movie, were like, well, Han can't meet Maul because if he sees the Force, that kind of throws into question how he is at the beginning of A New Hope where he just straight up doesn't believe in it. But if he's yeah. heard about it and kind of has it in his mind as this like, fairy tale thing that some people believe in but he doesn't i think that's okay Mm. yeah exactly yes it's not like he's like oh my god maybe this false thing is real there is never that moment for him and that's as it should be yeah another thing that i really appreciated was the way it emphasized how han has such respect for all people and Mm. all droids and all aliens um, yeah. And this is something that Kira notices and admires. And I think that's something that starts her having feelings for him. That um, yeah. she notices that Han like treats her like a person, treats Sue like, like a person, treats Tool like a person. It's like, oh, wow. You know, <laughs> like he actually believes everyone is an equal. Yeah, exactly. Which seems like a rare commodity in the Star Wars galaxy sometimes. <laughs> it seems like there's lots of prejudice and judgment. <laughs> Yeah, in this like horrible society that they're in in Corellia where everything is so hierarchical and is that even a word? I'm making that up. Yeah, no, that is a word. They're just 
they're just so structured and trying to climb these rungs that there's just such an extreme level of poverty and then she sees this obscene wealth when she goes to these hotels um mm. i think just just getting that from han just being respected and seen as an equal by a fellow human being is really really powerful for her yeah exactly so yeah i really like this book and i'd definitely recommend it to anyone who was interested in the characters and is just curious for more background on them because i think it has some great insights and yeah lays some really good foundations for the movie i definitely preferred it to last shot as well now that we're on the subject of solo tie-in material because there were things to like for me in the last shot but overall i didn't enjoy it that much and that was mainly because i had lots of problems with the structure of it this is constantly hopping around between different plots and different characters and different times and there were parts of the story that i found compelling and there were other parts of the story where that was much less the case whereas with most wanted it just tells one linear story set in a very short period of time and just for me i preferred that style of storytelling it worked better yeah, I completely get why you would. I really enjoyed them both, so I don't really feel the need to compare them because they're, they're obviously about very different things as well, even though they have thematic connections like the droid rights thing, um, mm. which I, I really appreciated that they've had those tie-ins, but were also in completely different time frames, different character focuses, um, and it gives you this different insight into Han with these relationships that are just yeah totally different and distinct to him like Kira and Han is very different to how Han feels about Lando at various points in his life so yeah exactly and I really I don't know how spoilery I feel like we've been pretty spoilery already but the stuff with the engineer and Kira I really appreciated because I felt like that enriched our understanding of the choices that Kira is faced with in the movie yes Um, because of what choice she ultimately makes and why she makes different ones in the book versus the movie. Um, yeah. And I feel like that really establishes the the closeness that Han and Kira have at the beginning of the movie. And then why they're not so close at the end. Because they've been through so much. Yeah. No, that's very well expressed about being too spoilery. Like, I completely concur with that. And I'll also say that I really liked the engineer character. Like, just in her own right. Mm. I thought she was written in a really interesting way so i think that it would have been very easy to make that character very 2d yeah but they made her like interesting and unpredictable whereas at the same time her choices were always logical and you always understood where she was coming from so it was very cleverly done yeah she was almost like a precursor to what kira becomes where they're not villains and they're not necessarily bad people, but they're living in a galaxy that kind of forces you to make some terrible choices sometimes because of their own desperate circumstances. Like, I wouldn't describe her as a mm. villain. She might be, like, the villain of this story, but because of what she'd come from and what she was trying to do, um, even though, obviously, I didn't agree with some of her choices. Yeah. Didn't, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah. If anything, that character reminded me of DJ. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she's very much in it for herself, selfish, but not necessarily outright evil. It's one of those characters who kind of leaves you feeling a bit uncomfortable. She's so not so sure how to judge her. Yeah, I think she's a powerful foil to Kira, especially the Kira that we meet in the movie, because I think the engineer is what some people might perceive Kira to be, but mm. I don't think she is. No, 
definitely not. No. Kira is kind of like a Rorschach test as well. Yeah. Because so many people have vastly different like takes on what that character is doing and why she's doing it. And I happen to have quite a sympathetic take, but other people are much more like, oh no, she's doing it for selfish or cynical reasons. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> so yeah, it's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> it is a Rorschach test. And I feel like depending on your perspective, you can claim it as like a criticism of the movie that they didn't make it clear enough what Hero was going for. But yeah. I um, I think that it's hard to know whether that was intentional or not. And I I think that it was. I think that the casters wanted her to be mysterious. It's just the level of mystery that you're comfortable with, like how clearly you want a character's motivations to be laid out. And I'm okay with it being left as it was. Yes. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the ambiguity, to be honest. Like, and it makes for fun discussions. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm I'm okay with it not having a clear resolution and um when I first saw the movie, I was like, oh, that makes sense because we're probably going to get a sequel because that's kind of what they're setting up there. But now that we know it hasn't done so great financially, that's probably not going to be the case, at least not in movie form. But yes, we'll see. Exactly. Um, right. Then I think just before we wrap up, we've actually just got a question through. Oh, really? Like, literally just before we recorded. Yeah. Huh. So I'm going to read Kirsty out a question that she's completely unprepared for. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't worry, I promise it's quite brief and not that intimidating, so we'll be fine. So this is from Sylvia. Hello from Washington, D.C. Thanks for your podcasts. I really enjoy all the analysis and discussion. I have a question on the Force Bond in The Last Jedi that I haven't seen a discussion of. Did Rey open the bond in the smut hut herself? I thought the Force connected and disconnected them spontaneously, but that scene after the cave implied that she called Ben somehow. Hmm. That is an interesting question. Yeah, I think it's kind of up for debate, um, probably because they're not sure where they want to take it in nine. Yes. Um, and Jason Fry couldn't be too prescriptive in the novelization for similar reasons. But there is a bit like between, you know, what she finds in the cave and then feeling alone and then figuring out, oh, wait, there's one person in the world who could understand this. And then she's going to the, the hut and she feels this relief wash over her when she sees that he's there. And it's like, did she consciously call him or was it just because she was hoping to see him that he appeared? It's kind of not very clear. Yeah, it's really hard. I think it is very much left up to the viewer's interpretation. Um, I think my interpretation is that while the bond between them is kind of spontaneous, is also influenced by their emotions and their states of mind. So it always seems to happen to them when they're like, when they're in quiet moments, mm. for example. So they're not with other people when the Force Bond activates. They're always on their own and they seem to be reflective and thinking about things. And so I think that following the cave, Ray was, Ray was obviously in a very reflective mood because she had just experienced this very like confusing like vision of her own self and potentially of her own past. And in that moment, she did desperately need someone to discuss that with and try and understand that with. And so then the Force Bond activated. So I think there's... I think it is spontaneous, but it's also like not separate from their emotions and their states of mind. 
Yeah, and I don't think it's going to be logically consistent because we also have it activating when they both clearly express they don't want to see each other. Um, yes. So I think it's just like when you look at these kinds of dynamics in any story, the emphasis is always on it being because it's intensely personal between them. It's not just about um, the politics, even though that obviously comes in at the end and that's why you get that break between them. Um, mm. It's about how they relate to one another. So by design, it's always going to be around like they always share scenes together that it's very rare that they have other people there at least for the whole scene so they have like Finn obviously at the end of The Force Awakens and then he gets taken out and then Snoke gets taken out and it's always mm. comes back to how they feel about each other um, yes that's just the way it's always going to be because that's how those dynamics work in stories but um, yeah I, I don't worry too much about like the mechanics of it because that's something that JJ could easily play around with or alter to whatever he wants to do or just never even bring it up. Like, I think it's supposed to have this element of mystery and we're not supposed to understand how it works. Yeah. Because, I mean, even with Snoke, like, I think he set it up but had no understanding of how it was going to go. And that's yeah. part of his downfall, so. Yeah, I think for me, it's a bit like just the Force, generally speaking. I think it works best when you don't fully understand it. Like, when it is this mysterious, ethereal thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I, I have ideas and I have theories, but I don't ever want anything to be t made too explicit because I think that ruins some of the magic of it. Right. It's not really the point. Even yeah. though it's, it's fun to think about, obviously, and we do. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of our reason de actually. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thanks for the question. Um, yes. Thank you for the question and thank you for listening, Sylvia. You've timed that very well. <laughs> um, right, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So I'm Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Basila Bay on Tumblr and Kirsty of Jakku on Twitter, and we're also Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye. Bye.